As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio. Theology of the Body, the Saints and Our Masks, a talk by Madeline Carrington at the 2018 Immaculata Mission School in Hobart, Tasmania. Okay, thank you so much. And it is wonderful to be here with you. And I'm also very excited to be able to share this. And um, the Holy Spirit's really been putting me to work these last seven days. And when I came here with my talk, which I thought was prepared, the Holy Spirit was like, no, I want you to change this and add this. So yeah, this is is from the Holy Spirit. I just want to touch on something Simon said. Um, He was talking about just sharing so vulnerably his struggle with pornography and um, something that he'll talk to more about the men tonight and which I'll briefly touch on um, tonight with the women is the issue of, of pornography. But I just thought while we have a screen, I'd take the advantage to just put up a flyer. And um, we also work with Covenant Eyes, which is an internet filtering software, which you can download on your devices. And we just want to put it up there so you can see it. And if you use the promo code FREE, F-R-E-E, you receive the first month free. Um, and also, two Covenant Eyes are a wonderful ministry um, that are passionate about helping young men and women um, overcome their addiction to pornography. And if you honestly can't afford to use this service, they will give it to you for free. So while we had the screen, we thought we'd put it up there, covenanteyes.com. So because Simon did mention it is our three-month anniversary, I thought I'd show you a photo of our wedding day. <laughs> Special, beautiful day. This was just after we were married as we were leaving the church. You'll see uh, the lovely Claire Carrington there just on the end. She just made it in. Unfortunately, Michael was cropped out. Sorry, Michael. But he was up there. So um, we're blessed to have our family by our side. Um, And it was just such a joyous day. But the reason I want to show you this is um, because the next photo I'm about to show you, I think, is a huge testament to how God can transform two people's lives. Now, Simon shared his testimony. I'll share a little bit of mine and, and maybe some more tonight. But honestly, like we, we're not chastity speakers because we are perfect at living out this virtue. We are chastity speakers because we need to hear this message every single day. And God wants to remind us of how much we need his mercy every single day. So at our reception, Simon actually, in front of 300 guests, washed my feet as a testament to everyone in that room that he was promising to lay down his life and love his bride as Christ loved the church. So can everyone give it up for my husband, please? Let's give it up for the grace and the mercy of God because without his grace and mercy, we wouldn't be here. So, yeah, amazing what what God can do, how he can pull two sinners out of a big mess and his light and his love can can shine in our life and and help us and lead us to um, the beautiful marriage that we have to work on every single day but are blessed to be part of. So I'm going to start by letting none other than St. John Paul II take over from here and, and, and give you a few words of um, yeah, wisdom and beauty. So just watch this video for about six minutes and then we'll unpack it. Dear women, I greet you all in the name of Jesus Christ. Peace the way that moves and the life. Pope John Paul II was coming to Denver from World Youth in 93. Reporters were predicting an absolute failure. They thought maybe from the whole world he might manage to get 20,000 people to show up. 750,000 young people came to this field to celebrate their Catholic faith with the Pope. I was one of them. Apparently none of us had gotten the memo that Catholicism is irrelevant and out of touch with the needs of young people. John Paul II lived into his 80s. He wore, you know, a, a Roman outfit. He had Parkinson's. And yet to his dying day, 
we can draw more young people than Justin Bieber, One Direction, or any popular band put together. There's nothing more attractive than this. Jeff Paul II had a really rough childhood. You know, an unfortunate reality about life is that heroic souls tend to only be chiseled out by tragedy. When really bad things happen to us, we either get bitter or better. Before he was born, his big sister died. Growing up as a little boy, he loved his mom like any little boy did. And he later called her the soul of home. When he was eight, his mom died. With just him, his dad, his big brother, he looked up to his big brother so much. Four years after his mom died, his big brother died. People described him in, in sixth and seventh grade as being kind of withdrawn and quiet. With just him and his dad left, his dad was everything to him. His dad was like his, his father, filled the mother role, his mentor, his friend. Growing up with his dad in Poland, Nazis took over his country when he was 19. Shortly after, communists took over his country. And when he was only 20, the dad he loved so much died. He later said, at 20, I had already lost all the people I loved. And even those I might have loved, like my older sister. So very early in life, he experienced the tragedy of our mortality and head-on experienced the tragedy of human evil. And yet he was renowned not for his bitterness or his hardness. He was renowned for his courage and optimism in the face of evil. He had this almost supernatural grin in the face of what he called the culture of death. His favorite uh, phrase that, that he repeated constantly was the one that Jesus said more times than any other in Scripture. Be not afraid. And he was also renowned for his love. As Bishop, he wrote, everyone had direct access to me at all times. All were welcome to my home. And he was never too busy for anybody, no matter how big of a deal he became. And as Pope, he wrote, I don't like the word crowd, which seems too anonymous. I prefer the word multitude. He had this like supernatural sharing in the heart of God the Father. He literally noticed and loved everybody. I think that's why, you know, it could be at a World Youth Day in a crowd with 750,000 people. And I remember being a half mile away from him. He was like a little white speck on the stage. The people around him were crying. They felt personally loved and reached out to him. And they were. The Pope's secretary said that for the Holy Father to meet another person is to encounter God. The Pope even loved the guy who shot him in point-blank range. He forgave him. They became friends. And the friendship and forgiveness that he experienced in the Pope changed his life. Despite all the suffering he went through, all the darkness he saw, Pope John Paul II faced his life, faced his everyday with prayer. I was in St. Louis in the Archbishop's residence there. And he pointed out a kneeler to me and said, you see, when the Pope was here in the city of St. Louis, he came down and knelt there at 4 a.m. He didn't move until 6 a.m. People who worked with him said he visited the Blessed Sacrament constantly. That superhuman courage and love. It came from the fact that his heart was close to the heart of God. Early in his papacy, when Pope John Paul II visited his homeland, Poland, for the first time as Pope, his people were being crushed by the communists, who were taking every opportunity they could to suppress the church. And this beautiful, central theme of his message that he repeated everywhere he went was this. You are not who they say you are. Let me remind you of who you are. In a world that would have us lose ourselves in materialism, in sin, in godless and lifeless philosophies, John Paul II stood out like a light shining in the darkness, reminding us of who we are. All the forces of death in spite of all the false teachers, Jesus Christ continues to offer humanity the only true and realistic hope, hope. He is the world's true shepherd. He never ceases to repeat with the same figure and love I came that they may have life 
and have it abundantly. Okay, who got goosebumps? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, clearly St. John Paul II is a, has had a huge impact on both Simon and, and my faith. Um, and I just, I wanted to show you that whole video because it explains it. Chris Stefanik has a great ministry called Real Life Catholic and makes these incredible videos and I thought, why not share it? Because it's so powerful. Every single time I watch it, I get something new and something different out of it. Um, and hearing the words of St. John Paul II are just, um, you, you know you're listening to a saint. So we'll unpack that video as we go throughout um, this talk. So, sorry, that's a little small. I didn't realise how small that would be. But I think um, the great question of humanity is who am I? Put your hand up if you've ever asked that before. Or if you ever stopped to contemplate, I am me. Is that a weird question? Like, I exist. You know, who am I? Um, now, previously, Western culture would direct that question to God the Father, just like the, the prayer that St. Francis of Assisi echoed so much, Lord, who are you and who am I? St. Francis knew that to get to understand his identity, he had to go to his creator. Lord, who are you and who am I? That is the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. And it's one that we should all be praying. But today, I decide who I am. And you better celebrate me or else. That's the mindset of today's modern culture. And it's this relativistic understanding, this I can come up with my own truth. And what I say goes. Um, and no longer is God invited into our hearts to answer that deepest question, who am I? So it, we need to pause right here. When we're talking about theology of the body and the saints. Um, we'll get to that soon, but we have to come right to the core of our humanity, right to the core of our identity and ask this fundamental question, who am I? And we need to ask that question not to the culture, not to the world, but to God. Lord, who am I? Now, this concept kind of came to me. It's like people go searching outside of themselves but the only way you can discover um, who you are is to go soul-searching within. But this can be the scariest, longest journey. Be not afraid. Okay, so it's kind of interesting when you stop and think about it. People will, you know, go backpacking around Europe for six months or a year and try and discover who they are. Now, I think travelling is an amazing way to discover um, more about who you are and, and um, you know, can learn amazing things. A lot of my conversion happened on a, on a pilgrimage, you know, so I, I think it's amazing um, to take, take those journeys outside of your comfort zone, but to know that the answers don't lie out there. The answers lie in here. The Lord wants to reveal who you are through, through prayer and contemplation. But, you know, it's just funny that people will jump on a plane and go thousands of miles away from home to find out who they are, but who they are is, is right inside. They just have to stop and think about it. I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but I do want to share this. When we were out on, um, on our mission the other day, where's Bridget? Bridget was my evangelization partner. And we met a young man named Ryan. Um, and Bridget was super confident. She went up and she said hello and introduced herself. I kind of took one look at him and thought, oh, he wouldn't be interested and I was going to keep walking, but, but Bridget was obviously listening to the Holy Spirit, and I wasn't. So um, this guy rocked up. He came, right? He was a 20-year-old backpacker man from the Netherlands. A few of you were dancing with him. Um, he, um, but he didn't believe in God. I asked him, I said, you know, do you believe in God? And he was just like, no. And he goes, and I've, I've left home, um, I'm you know, 20 years old, and I'm backpacking around Australia for a year, and I said, oh, you know, kind of, what are you doing? And without missing a beat, he said, I'm learning how to stop trusting people. <laughs> exactly. This man, then he took me through his life. He has been so wounded by so many people who he felt had taken advantage of him. And he said, I, I, I need to learn to just be independent and to just not, not, um, not need to rely on anyone. And I just, I kind of was like laugh or be like, I was, I was silenced. 
I was like, wow, what is going on in your heart? How much have you been wounded? And, you know, he came and he, he said, I feel very welcome here, but, but sadly the second they mentioned prayer, he was out the door. But um, we can pray for him. His name's Ryan, so pray for Ryan. Um, but this man was doing this. He was trying to find himself, okay? And sadly he didn't realise the answer was here when it was here in front of him, but nonetheless this man is searching. Okay, and that's why I put this thing at the bottom. This can be the scariest and longest journey. So he was miles away from home, but the journey from his head to his heart is a very difficult one for him to make, as it is for many of us. Okay, now Tom started um, with the first talk on looking at the meaning of life, and he referred to this encyclical by St. John Paul II, the Redeemer of Man. And I want to come back to this because this quote is fundamental. Man cannot live without love. Man cannot live without love. Now let's pause. Try not to read ahead. What is love? God. Sacrifice. Okay? Willing the good of the other, as St. Thomas Aquinas would say. God is love. Okay? So man cannot live without love. He remains a being that is incomprehensible. So he can't understand himself without it. He's incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless if love is not revealed to him. Now, we, we are blessed. We have a God who loves revelation. Okay, the, the greatest way God revealed himself to us was through the man of Jesus Christ. But God doesn't stop there. He's constantly revealing himself to us in the beauty of a sunset, in the gift of another person. Okay, We heard it on that video. For John Paul II, St. John Paul II, to encounter another person was to encounter God. Okay, we need to approach people with that same mentality, that same disposition of heart. If he does not encounter love, if he does not experience it and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it, this, as he has already been said, is why Christ the Redeemer fully reveals man to himself. There is the answer, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to get to know who you are, learn who Jesus is. Because man finds his identity in Christ. Okay. Now, this might be a little scary, but we're going to go pretty deep. Is that okay? You're going to come with me? Yeah. Put your goggles on. We're going deep. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to pull out a quote from C.S. Lewis. From his book, The Problem of Pain. So are you sure you still want to come with me? Yes. Yes. Okay. So this is a quote. Oh, that's really unreadable. (laughs) It looks good on my computer. All right. Yeah, it's deep. That's right. You've got to really search for it. Uh, I'll I'll read it out. Um, Bad graphics. Okay. So um, this is from The Problem of Pain. So... If you need to close your eyes, when when Juan was reading those scripture passages and invited us to close our eyes, that was really helpful for me. So perhaps you'd like to close your eyes while I read this out. Apparently then, our lifelong nostalgia, okay, or or our, um, our longing, our yearning. So our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, To be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. Okay, pause. If you have no idea what I just said, it's okay. This is deep stuff. We'll finish in a moment, but we have to stop and unpack this. So what is C.S. Lewis saying here? Okay, he's talking about our desire for the infinite. Okay? He's talking about that, that longing in our hearts. Okay? This door we've always seen. Okay? It's not some, this desire, he's saying, is not just some neurotic fancy. It's not just some sweet little idea. He's saying it's the truest index of our real situation. So everyone put your hand in front of your face right now. All right, leave it there. This truth that you were made for something greater, this truth that you were made for heaven, 
This truth is more real than the hand in front of your face right now. Amen? Amen. All right. Amen. That's what he's on about. I'll just put it in English for you. (laughs) I'll go on. And to be at last summoned inside, so inside this truth, would be both glory and honour beyond all merits. And listen carefully here. And also the healing of that old ache. Did you feel that? Like, we long for heaven. Like, it's that ache that Simon was talking about. I I love it how C.S. Lewis is, like, referring to the old ache. Oh, my old friend, like, you're, you're nagging me again. Yes, I know I made for something greater, but I'm not there yet. And this, I love this excerpt from The Problem of Pain because he's saying to be there, to finally have my heart's desires fulfilled would be both glory and honour. And the good news is, ladies and gentlemen, you are made for that. Okay? Now, what I just read from C.S. Lewis matches perfectly St. Augustine's Our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O Lord. That's what this journey is all about. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O Lord. And suspense. I've just put here. I want to pause for just a minute, just a moment. And I just want you to enter into and listen. Listen to the cry of your heart. Listen to the ache in your own heart. If you've never felt this, if you've got no idea what we've been talking about in regard to that ache, please sit before adoration and contemplate your desire for heaven. Because you are made for nothing less. Okay, let's just take take a moment. Just think about that. Can you feel that ache in your heart for something greater, for something that this world cannot offer? Continue that in prayer. Um, Christopher West says, Saints are not perfect people. They are people who know that they are perfectly loved in all their imperfections. So I'm, I'm laying a bit of a foundation here for the theology of the body, and then obviously we're going to go into how some examples of how the saints have lived this out, not perfectly, but how they've continued to, to spend their life striving to live out this beautiful message of theology of the body. Now, we have to pause here and look at these incredible witnesses around the room, okay, some amazing saints here, but none of them were perfect. Okay, the only perfect person, aside from Christ to walk the earth, was our Blessed Mother Mary. Okay, All these other saints, they, they didn't have anything extra than what we've got. There was no special eighth sacrament reserved for the saints. Right? They had all the same tools that we had, Okay, but they were able to acknowledge that they weren't perfect and they, they were in great need of God's mercy. Okay, and that's when God had an open door to come in and transform them. Okay, because like what Simon, how Simon shared his testimony, it was only when he surrendered to God, it was only when he let God take over that God was able to come in and transform and start that healing process. And the saints were, were no different. Now, I found this image. For those at the back who might be a bit hard to see, it's an image of all the, all the um, saints in heaven. And um, you've got Jesus on the cross. And all the saints are looking up and, and praising Christ crucified. And you'll notice here, this area here, all these saints are holding palms. Does anyone know what a palm is a symbol of in regards to a saint? Martha, thanks, James, right? Yep, exactly. When if you ever see an image of a saint with a palm leaf, it symbolises that they were a martyr. So I'd just like to point that out because I think the virgin martyrs are a great testament to living out um, a life of, of purity and the theology of the body, essentially. But we've got these saints here in heaven directing their, their, their understanding that Christ crucified is, is their salvation. And we have to do the same. You know, it's by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. I've got obviously two um, heroes here, um, St. John Paul II and St. Teresa of Calcutta. Now, saints were friends, okay? So saints build saints. That's why it's important for us to commit to living lives of virtue and strive and help each other in our journey to sanctity because saints build up saints, okay? Um, You've heard that phrase, iron sharpens iron. 
Okay, so yeah, saints build up saints. So Saint John Paul II and Saint Teresa of Calcutta were great friends, as were Saint Francis of Assisi and Saint Clare, and many many other saints that we have. Um, now you just heard the story of Saint John Paul II. Okay, you saw the loss and the devastation, and I love what that video said. Suffering can either make us better or bitter. Now, you would think that a young man at the age of 20 who'd lost all of his immediate family and was experiencing the devastation of World War II in his country that he loved so much would be a little bit bitter. I know I would really struggle to, to see any goodness in what was going on around me. But this man, this man still believed in the goodness and the beauty of human love. And look at the gifts that he gave us. Put your hand up if you will in some way attribute the, the love you have for your faith to St. John Paul II. Look at that. That's probably three quarters of the room. I would not be here standing talking to you today if it wasn't for this man. I had a huge kind of conversion um, at World Youth Day in Madrid. And World Youth Day was started by St. John Paul II. Um, and the teachings of Theology of the Body pulled me out of a lot of mess in my life. So he, he wasn't um, spared of suffering. He certainly experienced it to a great degree. Now, Mother Teresa, um, she experienced a very long period of, of darkness, of, of not feeling Christ's consolation, his presence, but she was faithful in that, and she has that beautiful quote, you were not called to be success, successful, but faithful. Okay, and Mother, it was Mother Teresa who was able to see beyond someone's mess and love them like Christ. Okay, um, I also feel like Mother Teresa, I was just reflecting on this, I've never thought of it really before, the impact that she's had on my life. Um, but I really came to understand the dignity of the human person by doing some mission work with the missionaries of charity and seeing how they loved the orphans and how once they put all of their, these children to bed, they would go out in the streets of Mexico City, which is where I was doing some mission, and they would go and look in dumpsters for abandoned babies, you know, and that just, oh, that experience is for another time, but... That I took years to unpack what that did to me in regards to how I viewed other people and the dignity and the sanctity of every single human life. So um, besides their sufferings, they were able to, to love as Christ and look beyond that. Now we have to remember, hurt people hurt people. When we are suffering, we become, um, and we're not directing that suffering to the person who can heal it, we become bitter and angry. We are in need of healing. There's nothing to be ashamed of in that. And it also, this is from a quote from the video, heroic souls tend to be chiseled out by tragedy. Okay, there's no better example there than, than St. John Paul II. Trust God with your pain. Your stuff, okay, whatever you're carrying is not an obstacle to intimacy with God but rather a gateway okay, to his mercy. Open the gate to Jesus' mercy and love. Okay, your stuff is not, um, not a barrier that you need to keep between you and God. You've got to let him in. Now, holiness is attractive, okay? Again, from the video, there's something attractive about holiness. We want to be around people who are living out a life of virtue, who are, who are close to Jesus. There's something attractive. That's what drew me to the faith, was young people who were just in love with God, who were on fire for God's, God's love. Masks don't work with God. This took me a long time to learn. It was a very painful journey. Masks do not work with God. We go around, okay, we live in a culture that um, celebrates masks. By mask, you know what I mean by that? Like, you know, we're always covering up our, our wounds or, or, you know, always, you know, looking like our life is perfect and everything's great. They don't work with God. He sees straight through them. In fact, he invites us to take them off. Trust in his love for you. Now, I want to share a brief um, brief story about how this has impacted me. Now, 
I'm sorry if some of you are sitting there going, okay, where's the theology of the body link? I'm not getting it. It's coming, okay? This is foundational, okay? We have to, we have to ask these big questions and we have to dig deep before we go into, is massiveness a word or the, the, the hugeness of this message, okay? Because it's, it's, it's a big, big message, okay? Has anyone seen the theology of the body book? Yeah, Simon's carrying it around at the moment. He's reading it. But it's like 129 audiences that St. John Paul II gave over four or five years. And um, if you've ever tried to read St. John Paul II, it's not, not the easiest thing to read. He's very philosophical and very deep. But um, so there's a lot to unpack there. That's my point. So I just want to share um, yeah, just a brief um, story about how I've come to learn this. I guess uh, I grew, I'm the eldest child of three. And I think um, I, I did grow up always kind of feeling like I had to have it all together. Now, this wasn't a pressure my parents put on me by any means. It was a pressure I put on myself. Being the eldest child, I was, you know, straight-A student. Mum, would, mum and Dad would go to the parent-teacher interviews and, and they'd say, oh, you know, we can't ask any more of her. She's studying. She's doing, trying her best. And I wasn't you know, a genius, but I would, I would always put in 100%. And so I kind of developed, and, you know, my brothers, on the other hand, oh, he needs to work on this, he needs to work on that, you know. So there was always a little bit of comparison at home. You know, my mum would often say to my brothers, why can't you be more like your sister? Why do I have to tell you to study and do your assignments and things like that? Now, that's just the male-female there coming out a lot. But nevertheless, I think I kind of began to put this pressure on myself that I always had to have it together. Like, I always had to do well. You know, that's when I was most lovable kind of thing. And like I said, my parents didn't put this on me. I put it on myself. And, you know, everything, I always, I always you know, I always kind of I got into my uni degree. I, you know, did well in HSC, all of those things. It was tick, tick, tick. Everything was going great. And then when I got into my faith, I thought I really had it all together. You know, and I was like, oh, I've got this great life, I've got these awesome friends, I'm going to be a saint, like, yeah, life is awesome, I have it together, right, and then when I was um, 21, um, my best friend died suddenly and tragically, I won't go into details, but it was sudden and it was tragic, and my world fell to pieces, and I didn't know how to cope. I'd never lost anyone close to me before and it was a really difficult time in my life. And I was caught in this tension because I'd always trained myself that I had to have it all together. But all of a sudden I found myself not knowing how to do that, not knowing how to cope with what life had presented me with. And my natural reaction was I was able to I was able to put this mask on for, for about 18 months, actually. I was able to, to, to just kind of uh, live in denial and push through. And I kept doing all the things I was doing. But then there kind of came a point where I couldn't pretend anymore. Now, unfortunately, one of the ways that I was able to put this mask on for 18 months was to push God away. Because if I sat... Um, I mean, I, I went, still went to Mass every day and was still close to the sacraments. But if I stayed more than like five minutes after Mass and started to enter into prayer, it would all start to come up and I'd get too scared and I'd have to go. I'd run out. I could, I, I, really, I stopped doing adoration because it was too, I could feel it coming up. And what was, what was I trying to do? I was trying to push it down because I had to keep this mask on because I had to have it all together. And it got to the point where... I, I, you know, so God was at arm's length um, and I could feel my faith was, was struggling. Like I was, I, was, I was really getting stuck with my prayer. I was, I was starting to question things. My relationships were really suffering. And I kind of just got to a point where I broke. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't keep this facade up any longer. I couldn't keep this mask on anymore. And I basically, like St. Peter just yelled out, Lord, save me. Like, I'm sinking, I'm drowning. Like, I need you. And as it says in the scriptures, when St. Peter, you know, is in the storm, immediately Christ came into my life because I opened the door. 
And I realised that I don't need to have it together all the time. I want to have it together all the time, but I don't need to have it together all the time because Christ does. Okay? Christ does. And it was a painful lesson, and it took me three years to finally surrender. Three years. But I learned one of the most important lessons in my life, and that is we don't need to have all the answers. We don't need to have it together. We don't need to walk around with masks on. Okay, because that's one one huge disservice that our culture is doing today, and that is trying to convince us that we need to have it all together. Okay, because, and you, you think about that. This has just hit me. If that's the lie Satan is breathing through the culture, that ultimately tells us we don't need God because we have it together. What a load of... <laughs> Beep, right? What a load of beep. Like, we need God. We need Jesus, okay? And Lord, save me. Lord, come. Come into this mess. Come into this darkness. Come into this wound. I need you. Pull me out. Like he pulled St. Peter out and he will come. I wasted three years of my life thinking I could do it myself. Poor Jesus is just there shaking his head, looking at the clock, you know, like, hurry up and figure it out. You can't do it without me. But God is so merciful, and it is by his wounds that we are healed. Jesus didn't die on that cross. He didn't hang there for three hours suffering for nothing. He did that to remind us that he knows how you feel. Before you suffered, he suffered more. Okay, and he wants to invite us into that suffering. And I love this image by Caravaggio. I'm sorry if it's making some of your stomachs turn, which it does some people I know, but I love it. And I'm going to, sorry, you just have to deal with it. So (laughs) Jesus is inviting Thomas into his wounds. Let me say that again. Jesus is inviting Thomas into his wound. Believe in me. Believe that by my wounds you are healed. Okay, Thomas is in disbelief. He doesn't believe that Jesus is risen. He's saying, look, hello, I suffered. Look. Okay, and Jesus will do that. This is a little better, but still small. Isaiah 53 verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Is Isaiah in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Old Testament. The beauty of Scripture. Okay, the beauty of Scripture. By his wounds we are healed. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 to 11, it says, But he said to me, this is St. Paul, I believe, reiterating what Jesus has said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. How many of us can say that with true true belief? I delight in weakness. No, because we want to have it all together. No, we should be delighting in our weakness because there Christ is strong. We should delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, so when we are weak, Christ can come and be strong. So that was my introduction. Um, (laughs) What is the theology of the body? Okay, so I believe theology of the body is St. John Paul II's explanation of God's love for us. It is essentially about reminding us where we have come from so we don't forget where we are going. That's what the theology of the body is. Now, theology of the body, if your only concept of theology of the body is that it's about sexuality, we need to dispel that right now. The theology of the body is fundamentally about our identity and our vocation. Okay, those two big things, our identity and our vocation. 
And basically, it asks two questions. So the theology of the body asks two questions. Now, we started with a big question, Lord, who am I? So we ask the questions, what does it mean to be human? And how can I be truly happy? Okay, put your hand up if you'd say there are two big questions that your heart has. Yeah. What does it mean to be human? Why am I here? Lord, who am I? And how can I be truly happy? As Simon told us, we all desire true happiness. So, as I said, the two main themes, identity and vocation. So, in regards to identity, we've got original man, historical man, and glorified man. In a nutshell, historical man, sorry, original man is where we've come from. Historical man is who we are. And glorified man is is hopefully where we're all going. Okay, so it kind of unpacks those three things. Now, if this is your first introduction to theology of the body, it's okay. This is a very basic kind of um, understanding and unpacking. And I heard about it for the first time when I was 19. I'm now 25 and I still really feel like I'm on the surface unpacking this massive teaching. Okay, the theology of the body is it's very, very deep, but it's beautiful teachings. And I think the reason it takes so long to kind of study and journey through is because it has to simultaneously happen with a heck of a lot of healing. So it's, um, it's a real spiritual journey. And then we look at vocation, so what we're called to. And St. John Paul II beautifully unpacks the, the beauty of celibacy for the kingdom, the sacramentality of marriage, and love and fruitfulness. So when we look at theology of the body, it's identity and vocation. Now, we're going to go back to Genesis for a moment, and we're going to look at God's original plan for humanity. Now, sin was never part of God's plan. Death was never part of God's plan. Okay, God, God um, only desired total love and happiness. Doesn't that sound awesome? Doesn't that sound like we want now? Yeah, because our hearts were made for that, right? Our heart, your heart's made for heaven. Your heart is made for love. So God's original plan, okay, and we see the, the beauty of where he created man and woman. Just a side note that women were created last because God thought he could do a better version. <laughs> no, 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 we don't. We joke, but we're not serious. God created us both equally, equally beautiful but different. Um, but then we have the fall. So we have this idea of um, the beauty of the creation and then we have the fall of humanity, okay, the sin, where sin enters the garden. But it doesn't end there, thankfully. Christ came to restore us. And there's an image here. Again, it's small for those of you at the back, but many of you have seen it. It's the image of Christ pulling Adam and Eve out of the grave, pulling Adam and Eve out of their sin, restoring them. And, you know, in regards to our sexuality, for example, God's plan is of love, love and faithfulness and fidelity and fruitfulness and all those beautiful things that we're called to when we love. But the fall brings about suffering and pain. But Christ comes to heal that suffering and pain and realign our hearts back to him. So we need to go straight to the core, straight to the root, right to the beginning. You are made in the image and likeness of God. Now, I heard that a lot growing up, um, thought it was a nice idea, never stopped to think about it. Please, if you've never thought about that scripture verse, get on your knees in adoration tonight or tomorrow morning, and contemplate that. You are made in the image and likeness. It doesn't say of your parents. It doesn't say of anyone else. It says of God, almighty God, the creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. You are made in the image and likeness of God. You reflect an aspect of God that the world has never seen before. Each and every single person is unique. Everyone that's lived in the history of the world Everyone alive right now, which is about 7 million people, and everyone who will live in the future, there will not be one person who comes close to being like you. Pope Benedict says that every single person is a thought of God. And I actually, so providential, I just read this this morning in Amoris Letizia by Pope Francis on the joy of love. And he says that every time a new child is conceived, They exist in the heart of God for eternity. Like you are God's dream come true, basically. How beautiful is that? How incredible is our God? 
Okay, so you're made in the image and likeness of God. Now, what or who is God? Love, right? First um, letter of St. John, chapter 4, verse 8. God is love. Who desires to love and be loved? Some of you are worrying me. Who desires to love and be loved? Right. So that means you are made in the image and likeness of the very thing that your heart desires. Whoa. Amen. Amen. How great is our God? That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, in light of that, flick back to what Simon was saying about how these desires for love are that GPS that God gives us back to him. He's merciful. He is good. Now, in light of um, understanding the dignity of our bodies, because we are created body and soul, right? Both are good, both are holy. And St. Paul tells us, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So what we do with our bodies really matters. Now, Jesus asked this question in the scriptures. Who do you say that I am? I want to challenge you to ask that to God. Lord, who do you say that I am? Who am I? Okay. Now, identity and self-worth comes from God. That's fundamental. That was a huge game changer in my life when I realized that my worth didn't come from the people in my life, didn't come from my friends, didn't come from my boyfriend, didn't come from what other people thought about me. My worth came from God. Okay, but our culture does not proclaim that. Our culture says we need to have it all together and then we are loved. And we see this all over social media. I said that, I said that word, social media. Now, I'm not pointing the finger here. I'm right here with you. But we need to be honest for a second. Social media is a breeding ground for self-doubt. It's a breeding ground for self-doubt. What happens with social media? We convince the world that we have it all together. After my morning coffee, Snapchat, hashtag my life is awesome. (laughs) At the beach, getting a tan, Snap, Facebook, hashtag, my life is awesome. We might as well be saying hashtag, I have it all together. All right? We are trying to feed this culture that we have to have it all together. Now, what's happening on the other side of the phone? Oh, let me just say, your worth is not defined by how many friends you have on Facebook. Your worth is not defined by how many likes you get on that post. Your worth is not not defined by how many followers you have on Instagram, okay? Your worth is defined by God the Father and no one else, okay? Now, what's happening on the other side of that screen? Someone sitting at home having a boring Saturday morning, okay, they didn't go out and get coffee, they're not at the beach, they're sitting on their couch, scroll, 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 my life is worthless, my life is boring, Oh, my gosh, that person's having so much fun. Oh, my gosh, I'm so jealous. Oh, my gosh, I better post something before everyone thinks I don't have it all together. Snap, hashtag, selfie with my cat, my life is awesome. All right? It's like we're desperate for affirmation. We're desperate for someone to like our Facebook post. Now, I know this because I've been there. Okay, and I've also been on the other side of the scrolling going, oh my gosh, my life's worthless, my life's boring. This person's having so much fun. We've got to cut this out because we're feeding ourselves a lie. All right, and in light of what I just shared, that story, okay, we need God. And all this stuff, it's going to pass away. Okay, I'm not saying it's, I've got all these things, I've got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But I'm very cautious of how I use it and I'm very cautious about how much time I spend on it. If you add up all the time you spend on social media and change it with adoration, your life will look a lot different. 
as mine did when I started to cut these things out. Alright. Here we go. Jesus is telling us. We ask him the question, who do you say that I am? And he puts out his arms. I'm saying you are worth this. That's where our worth comes from. To me, I'd rather see that than a, than 200 Facebook likes, wouldn't you? That's what your worth is. Your worth is not, oh, it's just nothing to do with social media. Okay, hashtag I gave my life for you. That's where your worth comes from. Okay? To love is to be vulnerable. C.S. Lewis. Is there any more vulnerability than Jesus on the cross? Is there any more vulnerability than Jesus on the cross? To love is to be vulnerable. Where's the vulnerability in social media? Oh my gosh, don't be vulnerable on social media. No way. You've got to have it all together. Now, this is a woman who didn't have it all together. The woman at the well. And Jesus came, and I'm not going to spend much time on this because someone mentioned it the other day, or it was in a homily, and I thought, what providence? And it was explained so beautifully. But this woman didn't have it all together, and Jesus came, and he sorted out her mess. But her door was open. St. John Paul II, it is Jesus you seek when you dream of happiness. Okay, your body speaks a language. This is where we're going deeper and deeper here. This is from Pope Francis. Sexuality is not a means of gratification or entertainment. It is an interpersonal language wherein the other is taken seriously in his or her sacred and inviolable dignity. Now, one thing we have to understand is when we're talking about our worth, our dignity, our identity, we have to understand it in light of the virtue of chastity. Okay, because again, chastity is not just about sex or sexuality. Chastity is a virtue, okay? It directs all of our sexual desires towards the good of the other. Now, going off Simon's talk here, we learnt how important and how good our sexual desires are and what power they have to lead us to the one who created them, which should really tell us we have to be very cautious about how we use them and how we understand them. Okay, chastity is not a list of no's. It's a great yes to that authentic love that your heart desires. But like with anything in life worth something, it takes sacrifice and discipline. Okay, you want to get good marks, you want to get a good report, you have to work for it. You have to make sacrifices. You want to make it to the Olympics and win a gold medal, you have to work for it. You have to make sacrifices. Who wants authentic love? Is there anything worth, like, that you want more? No. No, so why would we fall into this mindset that we don't have to work for it, that we don't have to make sacrifices for it? So chastity is, it's a virtue, right? It, it, it comes through fruit of prayer. It's God's plan for our sexuality, and it's what will bring freedom. Look, I probably, I feel like I'm standing here just hating on the media and the culture. I'm not doing that. But we have to acknowledge reality here. And this is not the message we get from the culture. Freedom does not come from just following the impulses of your desires. Okay, freedom comes from being able to choose. Okay, when I was not trusting in, in God and going through that really difficult time, I was miserable. I was a slave to my pain. I didn't recognize myself. I was so selfish and consumed by my struggle. I couldn't see anyone else's struggle, okay? And I hurt a lot of people. But God wants to come into that. Now, the catechism says that chastity means a successful integration within the person and thus the inner unity of man in his bodily and spiritual being. Okay, so body and soul are united, which is how God created us. The virtue of chastity, therefore, involves the integrity of the person and the integrality of the gift. Okay, so we are called to make a gift of ourselves in love. And Simon gave us some great examples of how we can practically live that out. And we'll go into more um, details of practically living that out tonight in our masculinity and femininity sessions. 
But we need to speak a language of love with our bodies. And as I said earlier, the theology of the body is not just about our sexuality. It's essentially about love, God's love for us and how we respond to that love. Okay, now many of the saints had this total integration of body and spirit. They were totally ready to speak this language. Okay, now we're coming to the end. Can you bear with me for 10 more minutes? Yeah? Okay. So a few examples here. We've got um, St. Damien Molokai. He was sent to the leper colonies in off the coast of Hawaii, I believe, and he willingly went, knowing that death, you know, was probably going to happen when he was ministering to the people with leprosy. But he willingly said, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to follow my own comfort. I'm, I'm going to make myself a gift. I'm going to sacrifice for these people who need a priest to minister to them. And he did eventually get leprosy and, and die. But I look at St. Damien Molokai and I see a man who totally spoke love, who wasn't afraid of sacrifice. St. Gianna, she had the option, I don't know if you know her story, but um, her fourth child, she developed um, a cancer in her uterus and she had the choice of whether or not to um, like resist the, the medication um, and save her baby or abort her baby and go through with the medication. And she was like, I'm, I'm this child's mother. I'm, you know, I'm not going to abort this child. And so she gave birth to a baby girl and she died um, seven days later. Okay, from, from complications and her sickness and everything, but willingly just was like, I'm here to love, like I'm here to make a gift of myself, just as Christ made a gift of himself to us on the cross. Beautiful side note, St. Gianna's daughter actually sat in the front row of her mother's canonization. So just God calls us to greatness. Okay? Pope Benedict says, you are not created for the comfort of this world. You were created for greatness. Now, greatness doesn't always feel good. To, to choose the uncomfortable isn't easy, but we are lined around here. We are surrounded by men and women who chose the uncomfortable, who essentially chose Christ. And look where they are. They're, they're in heaven. They are experiencing what their hearts truly desired because of their heroic actions. And that's what we're all called to. St. Maximilian Colby, we all know his story. He knew his identity, but this is the thing about these people. They knew who they were. And when you know who you are, you're able to give yourself in love. Okay? You can't give what you don't have. Then we've got Blessed Miguel Pro, okay, who willingly um, what was, um, yeah, was, let's see some thumbs up, who was willingly, um, yeah, died for his faith. And St. Lawrence, okay, fearless. Who knows the story of St. Lawrence? Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm from, from Malta and I've been to the Festa of St. Lawrence, which is where my, my grandfather's from that village. I remember being a 10-year-old girl at this Festa and this massive statue of St. Lawrence was being carried through the village and all these like people are going crazy, like, Viva St. Lawrence, like, long live St. Lawrence. He was their hero, right? And then as I got older, I asked my grandfather, what's the story of St. Lawrence? And he goes, oh, he was he was." He was um, burned to death and um, he was like on a stake. So he was lying basically on top of a barbecue kind of thing. And he just said to the, the Roman guards or whoever, whoever was torturing him, I'm done on this side. Do you want to turn me over now? <laughs> like fearless, okay? All for Jesus. All for Jesus. So now I have an image here. This is an image of Mother Teresa's feet. Her toes are all, um, I guess, mangled, you could say. Her feet look squashed. Now, this is because Mother Teresa made a gift of herself. And this might seem a little, you know, wondering what I mean by that. But when um, old sandals would be donated to the, to the convents, Mother Teresa would get to, the sand, to all the sandals before everyone else did, and she would pick out the worst sandals. Okay, and she would keep them for herself, whether they were too big or whatever, whatever, whatever it was. Whatever the worst sandals were, she'd keep them for herself, and then she would give them to the sisters, and and they could um, pick from them. But Mother Teresa always wore the worst ones, and she walked a lot through the streets of Calcutta. 
and her feet like was must have been in so much pain but you know just total gift okay total abandonment total total gift and her phrase there love until it hurts so these are some examples of some people who have made a gift of themselves okay now I am sorry we are running out of time here but I'm just going to give you some more food for thought, okay? So we've got saints and the stigmata, this total suffering in, in the flesh, okay? This total uniting of body and spirit, of being so close to Jesus that Jesus allows them to experience his sufferings and his wounds from the cross on earth, okay? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to be honest and admit that I'm very far off desiring to experience this kind of pain on earth. I have a long way to go when it comes to desiring suffering. But these saints desired to suffer with and like Christ. Okay, we shouldn't be put off by this. We should be inspired. Okay, we've got St. Gemma Galgani, St. Rita, St. Francis of Assisi and Padre Pio. Do you know what St. Francis of Assisi exclaimed when he received the stigmata from Jesus? Do you know what he said? I know what I would say. Ouch, ouch, Lord, that hurts. St. Francis said, Oh, Lord, you are beauty. Lord, you are beauty. Oh, that paradox in our faith of how beauty produces suffering and suffering produces beauty. Again, that's for another time. But just contemplate these, these, the love of these saints. Okay, we don't have time for St. Cecilia, but look up her story. It's very cool. <laughs> St. John Paul II. Now, I just have a few quotes here. So I'm, I'd be happy to, to um, send you some, some quotes on, from different saints here um, because we, we're getting close to um, time. But um, listen to this one by St. John Paul. Only the chaste man and the chaste woman are capable of authentic love. Mm, chastity is important. We'll talk about it more tonight. Don't worry. Blessed Pierre Giorgio. All right, I'm going to kind of rush through it. But true friend, sorry, true happiness, dear friends, doesn't consist in the pleasures of the world or in earthly things, but in peace of conscience, which we have only if we are pure in heart and mind. Two little martyrs, I put them together, St. Philomena and St. Marie Goretti, because they were so young. And that gospel passage there, Matthew 5, verse 30, is the, the gospel passage of, you know, if your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it's better to enter heaven um, uh, like as, as a cripple than, than to go to hell. And they, they died for their purity, basically. So, again, please look up St. Philomena and St. Marie Goretti. And forgiveness, too. St. Marie Goretti forgave the man who stabbed her before he died. Before she died, sorry. Our virgin martyrs, okay? St. Agatha, St. Agnes, St. Lucy, St. Catherine of Alexandria. They knew... The, the beauty and the dignity that they had as women, they knew the beauty and the dignity and the value of their purity and they were willing to go to the death for it. Okay? Inspiring. Now, St. Anne, I just want to say one thing about St. Anne. We know that Mary was conceived immaculately, okay, without sin. Where did the immaculate conception take place? In the womb of St. Anne. We have a lot to learn from this woman. I've done a couple of novenas to St. Anne and they're powerful. One in particular, you can pray, ladies, for your future husband. Okay, there's that prayer, St. Anne, St. Anne, please find me a man. Oh, okay. <laughs> we never thought of that. It works, okay. I prayed that. I prayed that novena and it ended on the 26th of July, Feast of St. Joachim and St. Anne. And on that day, my friend... Great friend gave me Simon's number. Not for that. Not for that. It was to to talk about how we could help each other give chastity talks. But anyway, God works in funny things. And of course, St. Joseph, okay? He has the title Guardian of Virgins. So we must go to him. Okay, now, I just want to recap for a second. I started by talking about, like, a lot of things to do with the faith, with foundational things in regards to our identity and our dignity, okay, as men and women. Um, but I hope that you could see that it all, all of that, okay, that understanding of, of taking off our masks is so necessary, okay, to understanding our identity and our vocation, 
Obviously, understanding the beauty and the gift of our sexuality and the virtue of chastity is paramount when it comes to understanding the theology of the body and how we relate to each other as men and women. But it is not the be-all and end-all. It is a huge part of it. But we need to understand that we are loved. And I should say this before we end because right before this talk, I went into the Adoration Chapel. I said, Lord, what do you want them to know? What do you want me to say? What is the message? And I'm sorry I left it to the very end. But the message that I got was tell them they are loved. Tell them they are loved because we live in a world that tells you you're not lovable until you're perfect. And guess what? It's impossible to be perfect on this earth. So where does that leave us? You are loved unconditionally. Mess or no mess. And we all have a mess, right? You are loved, okay? And God wants to to come into the areas of your life where we often want to keep him out. So tomorrow night, um, yeah, just the next, there's a, a couple of big days ahead, but just don't be afraid to take your masks off. And don't be afraid, okay? Be not afraid because Jesus will be here in the Blessed Sacrament holding your hand and you are not alone. And we should pray for St. Joseph too, okay? Um, And just finally, Mary is the model of total abandonment, a.k.a. the model of taking off our masks and the complete encompassing of the theology of the body. There is no boundary to God's love. There is no limit to God's love. And any sin that you can even imagine committing is like a drop, of ocean, a drop of water in the ocean of God's mercy. You've heard that message before this week. No sin is greater than God's love. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. And finally, entrust the past to God's mercy, the present to his love, and the future to his providence, St. Augustine. Okay, look at that heart on fire. St. Augustine's called the doctor of desire. Did you know that? He was, in, he was a man who was in touch with his desire. Now, thank you very much. Um, Mother did ask that I share a couple of resources where you can go for more information beyond this camp. Obviously, you can always contact Simon and I. Um, we have a Facebook page. <laughs> I know I've told you about social media, but we use it probably. Okay, uh, Facebook, um, Twitter and Instagram, Fire Up Ministries. My email's on the bottom, and there is also two apostolates I want to promote: the Chastity Project, which is run by Jason and Christalina Evert, and there's uh, Matt Frad, Christopher West, Sarah Swafford. They'll give you access to all of them, and they have their own ministries that have great questions and resources on all of this stuff. Um, and also to Perusia Media, an Australian-based media um, organisation that distributes re- these resources. Okay, so they're partnered and, and we're partnered with them too. So, yeah, email's down at the bottom and we'll hear the rest of the camp and we'd love to chat with you. So thank you for your time. God bless. That was Madeline Carrington with Theology of the Body, the Saints and Their Masks. This presentation was part of the 2018 Immaculata Mission School held in Hobart, Tasmania on the theme, Being a Disciple of Jesus. For more talks, interviews and shows, visit cradio.org.au.